1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Well, when Dana and I were in Israel last year, we rode on a bus to the top of a mountain, Mount Arbel. And Mount Arbel is a mountain that oversees the Sea of Galilee. It rises up about 1,300 feet. From the bus, we hiked out to the cliff and saw the stunning view of the valley there and of the glassy sea. The Sea of Galilee was still that day. It was beautiful. We took pictures. We read scripture. We talked about how potentially Christ could have come up to this place and prayed with his disciples and taught his disciples. It was a wonderful experience. And then after, they said, if you are able, you can take a hike down the side of the cliff to the bottom. And they warned us, though, that it's very treacherous. In fact, this was what you can read on the website about it. This hike is a one-way trail one way, notice that, down a steep slope using tricky hand and footholds on a cliff. And so Dana convinced me to go. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it worked. And the descent was frightening. We had times when our feet were standing, our feet were standing on a six to eight-inch piece of, of uh, rock on the side of a cliff. We were hanging on to ropes as we descended down. I had times where my eyes were looking down, straight down 200 feet, and my heart was pounding and praying, Lord, help me make this. And that's true. It's a true story. Now, I want you to imagine as I'm on the side of that cliff there, descending down. We had times where we had to stop because some individuals below us were having problems. We had actually one guy that had a, had a problem with being able to see distance, and so he had some eyesight problems, and that caused some issues as well. But I want you to think about, as I'm going down, descending down that cliff side there, every part of my body, every member of my body had to be fully engaged had to be working in unison. My mind had to stay focused. My hands had to grip tightly to that rope. My feet needed to stay on the marks. My legs needed to stop shaking. My eyes needed to stay opened and show me where to go. My ears needed to listen to when I needed to stop. And I needed to stay on that side of that cliff, my whole body needed to be engaged. In fact, if you know this about me, you know I have a, actually have an owie right there. That's not part of that trip, but I have a rod in my thumb. So actually gripping things becomes more difficult. So my four fingers had to overcompensate for my thumb that doesn't grip very well. And the point is, is that my body parts had to serve the entire body. We had to work in unison and I made it down that cliff, went to the bottom, and kissed the ground, and kissed my wife. Not in that order. But I was, I'm not a big fan of heights, if you can tell. But my body was only effective to get down that cliff 
to the degree that all my members functioned together in unity according to their assigned role. And in the same way, with that same idea, the body of the church, the church body, the body of Christ is only effective to the degree that all the members function together in spiritual unity. That's what this text teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. It uses the physical body as an illustration of the body of Christ. And Christ's body is only effective to the degree that all the members are functioning together in spiritual unity. If there are members in a church like this that are apathetic or sitting on the sidelines, we can't be all that God wants us to be. If we have members of the church who envy other people's gifts or who are selfish with their own gifts, we won't be able to be as effective to fulfill God's will for our church as we possibly could be. And so we as members of a local body of Christ, we are to come together and function according to God's assigned role, that how he has gifted us, serve one another and unite for the good of the body. In the first half, of, first half of chapter 12, we learned that the spiritual gifts of grace matter in the local church. And this week, we're going to look at church members matter in the local church. Verses 1 through 11 really focused in on those spiritual gifts. Individually, you are gifted with grace to serve the church and then the rest of this chapter now focuses in on the unity that we are to have. And so this text instructs us how we are to function as members of the body of Christ. Would you look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12? We're going to read verses 12 through uh, verses 12 through 31. Yeah, there we are. 12 through actually 27 is what we're going to do. Would you stand with me as we read? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read out loud. Would you follow along? We're standing in reverence to God's word, remembering that these are the very words breathed out by the Holy Spirit for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable are, are indispensable. Sorry, I got lost there. Weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word. You may be seated. Christ's body is effective to the degree that all members are functioning together in spiritual unity. So the question is, how are we to function as members of the body of Christ? So we're going to look at two ways, two ways we are to function as members of the body of Christ. First, as members of as a member of the body of Christ, you must function uniting with the church for the cause of Christ. Uniting with the church for the cause of Christ. That's what's taught in verse number 12. Notice verse 12. It starts off with a very important word. That word is the word for. And what is the word for there for? Well, it informs us that this verse is a conclusion of something that was already taught. What was already taught? Well, we said this in verses 1 through 11, the Spirit of God has gifted us. <clears throat> Notice verse number 4 and 5 and 6, and you can see that God works through variety of gifts. Verse 5, a variety of ministries. Verse 6, a variety of ways he works in the church. And, and then the next few verses highlight the individual gifts God gives to each one of you. Look at verse 7. To each is given. Verse 8. To one is given. Notice the individual here. To another. Verse number 9. To another. Verse 10. To another. That phrase, to another, is used seven times. Verse 11. The Spirit apportions to each one. So here's this focus on you. Again, this is the Holy Spirit pointing the finger right at you and saying, you are gifted, get in the game, be on the team. And I think what you see here in these 11 verses, one through 11, is like, it's like a coach who is assigning players to different positions. Now he's like, okay, you got the arm, so you're the quarterback. And, and you're really fast, so you're gonna be, you're gonna be running, you're gonna be the running back. And you got Mr. Mr. Long Arms, Mr. Long Legs, so you're going to go out there and you're going to try to catch the ball. You're the wide receiver, and you're the, you're the big guy, so you're going to be the offensive line. Big guys always get the offensive line. And so everyone has their assignment. And then what you see in verse number 12, it's like he huddles the team together, and he says, okay, guys, you have your assignment. Now let's be one. Let's go out there as one team, and let's win this game. And so notice verse number 12. You see that. So here's the conclusion 
For just as the body is one and has many members, so Paul uses the illustration of a physical human body. It's one organism with many members, verse 12, and all the members, all the parts of the body, though many are one body, notice the end of verse 12, so it is with the church. Is that what it says? What does it say? So it is with Christ. Now, wait a second. Maybe Paul messed that up there. Because wouldn't it make sense that it would say with the church? Well, no, he didn't mess that up. Paul substituted the word Christ instead of the word church. You would expect it to say, so is the church. But he says Christ, and why does he do that? Well, he substitutes Christ for the church to make a point. And that is that the church is the body of Christ. And don't get confused because Jesus Christ, he has a real physical, human, resurrected body. And he is in heaven right now, and he lives and exists in that body. But yet, he also has a spiritual body, and that's the body of Christ. That is the church. And we are the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within those he has redeemed. And as we gather as his people Together, we are the church and we are the body of Christ. And so, what this is teaching here is that God is at work in our world. Listen to this. He's at work in our world through Christ. And Christ is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, we are the body of Christ. And so, here's the awesome truth. You are Christ's hands. You are Christ's feet. You are Christ's mouth. Mouth. He is working through you as you operate as the body of Christ. In fact, think about Acts chapter 9. Remember Acts 9, you have a man named Saul. Saul was a leader of, in, the, in the Sanhedrin. He was persecuting the church. Saul, with the other religious leaders in Jerusalem, was going into churches, and they were dragging out pastors and church members, and they were persecuting them. They were throwing them in prison. Even someone like Stephen, who got up and preached the gospel, they dragged him out of the city. They took stones, and they crushed him. And so that was Christ's church gathering and going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God was trying to get a hold of one of those leaders that were persecuting the church, that man's name was Saul, and on the Damascus Road, the Bible says Jesus Christ himself appeared to Saul. Remember that? Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul fell on the ground. He's looking up to the sky, and there's Christ, a bright light. And Jesus says to him, you're persecuting me. And so Saul responds, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But wait a second, Jesus is in heaven. How can he be persecuting Jesus if Jesus is in heaven? He's not on earth. Because Jesus is saying this. He's saying that the church is my body. So when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. And so we recognize that we are a part 
of something greater than ourselves, we're a part of God's work in our world as we are a part of the body of Christ. And there are really two aspects about the church that are very important to understand here. One aspect is the fact that there is that the church is a spiritual church. There's a spiritual universal church. And that's what he's talking about in verses 12 and verse 13. The, the body of Christ there is speaking about this spiritual universal body. That is, all believers from the time of Christ and till now who are on earth and in heaven. So it's all believers. And that church has never gathered. Think about it that way. That church has never gathered together. In fact, the first time that that church will gather, Revelation chapter 4 will be in heaven and we will have a worship service. Christ will come back for us. He'll take his church with him and then the church will gather as one. So that's that spiritual universal church. And it's important to understand that's what he's talking about in verse 12 and 13. However, throughout the book, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that there's also a physical local church. There's another aspect of the church and that it is local. It's like Lighthouse Bible Church. We're a local body of believers. Like the church of Corinth was a local group of believers. And the local church is a physical, visible manifestation of the body of Christ on earth. And so when believers gather and we form a biblical church with all the elements that Christ has commanded us to put within the church, when we form a biblical church, it's a physical manifestation of Christ, of the body of Christ. And so we are, Lighthouse Bible Church, we are the body of Christ, the physical manifestation of Christ in this world. And so we speak the words of Christ. We go out giving the gospel like Christ did. We love one another like Christ loves us. And so therefore, Lighthouse Bible Church is like Christ's body in Simi Valley. And we're not the only ones, right? There are other churches that are gospel preaching, good Bible-believing churches. But we together are like Christ's body serving the Father so think about the significance of that in verse number 12. He's not just teaching that the church is to be like a body, but even beyond that, the church is Christ on earth. And you, church, you are a part of that. I mean, think about that. I mean, this is not like, think about the Rose Bowl parade, you know? If you've ever been to that, you've seen that on TV, you have all these floats going by. It's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to be part of that. So I'm going to jump on the, you know, the parade route and I'm going to ride one of the floats all the way down. That's, that's not the church. It's more like this. God's saying, hey, listen, you're actually on the football team. Like you're actually one of the starting players. You're actually very integral for this thing being pulled off. You're a member of the body of Christ. When I was on the side of that cliff in Israel, Every part of my body was necessary. I mean, if, if my elbow decided to say, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to bend anymore. On the side of that cliff, it would have been very difficult to get down. It would have affected me. So every part, no matter how important or unimportant, how visible or invisible or invisible or not visible you are, you have an important role. And so you're needed in the body of Christ. You're needed in a church like this. You're needed to be able to fulfill God's will 
through this church, but also even more than that, you get to be a part of something that is eternal, something that God the Father cares about. When you, when you serve this church, when you are a part of the body of Christ and you function according to what God calls you to do, you're a part of something that lasts forever. You're a part of something that matters in a million years. You're a part of something that matters in 10 billion years. That's what he's talking about here. You are a part of the body of Christ. This means that the work that you do as a member of the body of Christ, it matters. Many of you have roles in our society, in your job, that maybe are very important. Maybe, maybe you have such an important role that maybe you are actually changing the world as we know it. You could be an engineer. Maybe you're, you're designing something that's going to help defend our country. Or maybe you're a computer programmer and you're designing some type of app or some code, writing some kind of code that's going to make us a healthier country, or maybe we're going to have more efficiency in our country. Maybe you're a healthcare worker and you're saving lives, or maybe even someone in here is going to be the president of the United States someday. Maybe, maybe not. But those are very prominent positions. Now, hear what I'm about to say, and don't misunderstand me. None of those roles, none of those roles are as important as your role in the church of God. Think about that. God does care about your job, so don't, don't hear that. And if you're a kid, as I said in the 80s, be cool, stay in school, okay? Do, do it for Jesus Christ, but listen. Your role in the church is something that God will use for eternity. It matters. So we must function uniting with the church for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I think if we really grasped this right here, if we really understood what he's saying, that we are part of the body of Christ, it would change our life now, it should change our life now, and it definitely will affect eternity. Because what we're doing right now as a part of the body of Christ is something that's not just greater than yourself, it's not just greater than a country, it's not just greater than any type of humanitarian effort, it's in the business of saving souls. I mean, God is the one who does that. God's in the business of saving souls, gathering a people for himself according to the will of the Father. And listen, here's the amazing thing. You get to be a part of that. And you might think, well, that's really what a pastor does, right? No, every member, every person is a part of this. You say, well, you know, the hand's the most important part of that. You know, it's, it's a really important part of the body and the eye's an important part of the body. And so th that's really what does the work, right? No, I think the fingernail's a pretty important part of the body, right? I hurt my hand this morning trying to open an umbrella. And you know what I realized? That middle part between your hand is really important part of the body. <laughs> and what you realize is this, is you can't say, well, I'm unimportant in the body of Christ. No, you have an essential role. And even when you play out, when you live out that role that God has for you, you are doing something that matters for eternity. I was reading some quotes from different leaders. One was the late Senator John McCain. He says, the richest men and women possess nothing of real value in their lives if they do not serve something greater than themselves. That was pretty good. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about serving the country, which is something we admire. It's a good thing. He, he did some 
good things for our country. Barack Obama said this to the students of the Wesleyan University, it's only when you hitch your wagon to something larger than yourself that you realize your true potential. So he was promoting community service. Or Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg sorry, told Harvard students, today I want to talk about purpose. Purpose is that sense that we are a part of something greater than ourselves. So I guess when you go on Facebook this week, then you will be a part of something that's helping Mark Zuckerberg fulfill his purpose in life. But the point is, Facebook's gonna go away eventually. And in millions of years from now, the politics that we really, really care about won't really matter, right? What will last is what's done for Jesus Christ. And do you realize there will be a day when all of us will stand before Jesus Christ and he will say, how did you care for me? You know, you might think, well, for me, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the church. Matthew chapter 25 says that the king, speaking of Jesus, will say, will ask the question, when I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was hungry, did you give me something to eat? When I was a stranger, did you welcome me into your home? When I was sick, did you visit me? When I was suffering, did you care for me? What is Jesus talking about? And that's what they're going to say is, well, when did we see you naked and clothed you? When were you hungry? And what does Jesus say? He says this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, and notice what he says, my brothers, you did it to me. Some people take this and they say, oh, this is speaking about, you know, helping the homeless and things like that. And that's not what I'm going to address right now. But I want you to know, this is actually speaking about the church, about saying, how can, I, how can I serve the body of Christ? How can I serve as a part of the body of Christ? And he's saying, listen, when you, when you are functioning in the body of Christ the way God wants you to do it, you actually are serving Jesus Christ. And so let me ask this question to conclude this point. Where are the resources of your life being invested? Your time, your gifts, your treasures, and how are you caring for the least of these in the church? And when we have a couple ladies that are shut-ins in the church, have you ever thought that maybe those individuals are the least of those in our church? Have you considered maybe sending them a note in the mail telling them you're praying for them? Or maybe even stopping by some time and telling them that you love them? Are you valuing your ministry as something that has eternal impact? And we have guys in the back doing AV. We have someone probably changing diapers down there right now. Like those little things like that. Sometimes we can think, oh, I'm doing this today. Do you realize when you do that in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's something that is a part of the body of Christ and that will last forever. I even think about maybe some young men in this room and you're planning your life. I wonder if maybe you need to ask, would God want me to serve as a pastor? Is it something I should consider? And all of us, we need to evaluate, are we uniting with the church for the cause of Jesus Christ? So how are you to function as a church member? We are to function uniting with the church for the cause of Christ. And then second, you must function based upon your union with Christ in the spirit. Based upon your union with Christ in the spirit. We'll learn what that means in verse number 13. Look at verse 13. 
verse, verse 13 gives the explanation of how a member is united with Christ as a member of his body. This is called spirit baptism. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, keep your eyes on verse 13 because the grammar of these verbs in verse 13 are very important to understand what's going on. So look at the two verbs. Were baptized, notice that one, and then were made to drink. Both of those verbs are passive verbs. In other words, it's something that God is doing to you. Also, both of those verbs are aorist verbs, which means it's a point in time in the past. So God doing something to you at a point in time in the past. And so what is this talking about here? What is the work that God did? When did this happen? Well, the baptism in the Spirit made to drink of the Holy Spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit's work at your conversion. That is the time you first believed in the gospel. This might be helpful. If you want to write this down, I don't have this in your notes. You can write this down. The baptism of the Spirit, what is that? The baptism of the Spirit is Christ giving you, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one. The baptism of the Spirit is Christ baptizing you in the Spirit to unite you with himself and his church. So the baptism of the Spirit is Christ baptizing you in the Spirit to unite you with himself and his church. Made to drink of the Spirit is Christ giving you the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's Christ giving you the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so even look at that phrase right there, being made to drink. It's the idea of being saturated. It's the idea of having the Holy Spirit poured out into your soul. So this is Christ giving you the Holy Spirit that's an ever-flowing fountain in your soul. So the work of baptism, the work of the Spirit indwelling, is done by Christ in the Spirit at your conversion. It's like two sides of one coin. It's one work of the Holy Spirit, and on one side is the Spirit of baptism. The other side is Spirit indwelling. So let's look at the baptism of the Spirit The baptism of the Spirit is done by Christ at salvation when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. The word baptize means to immerse, to dip into. So think about the Holy Spirit being like water and Jesus being like the pastor. And so Jesus immerses us. He dips us into the work of the Holy Spirit so that we're united with Jesus Christ And we are placed into the body of Christ. Now, some theologians think about the baptism of the Spirit, and they they view it as a highly emotional experience that comes later after conversion. So people should seek the baptism of the Spirit. But actually, that's not what this text teaches. And how do we know that? Well, just look at the text, verse 13. For in one Spirit, your version might say, by one Spirit, in, in that preposition, En, in Greek is en, it can be translated with, in, by, it doesn't really 
matter in some sense. Um, in English, we have those different prepositions, and they are, but in, in Greek, it's one preposition. The point is, is this, is that your translation might say by the Spirit or in the Spirit or with the Spirit. The idea is that it's, it's that you're going into the Spirit, you're being immersed into the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's Christ is the one who's doing the work. So notice verse 13, for in one Spirit, we were all, who's the all? Well, all believers. So this is happening, this, you're, you're brought into the body of Christ with all believers. This is at conversion. And it says, into one body. That's the spiritual, universal church. So this is not a second work after you're saved. This is actually happening at your salvation. Now, how do we know this is Jesus Christ baptizing us? Why should this say in or with? Why is that probably a, a better way to translate it? Well, let's see if I have this up here. Oh, I do. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Think about, we could look at a, a, a number of scriptures to see this, but as we look at the fuller context of what the New Testament says about baptism, the baptism, I should say, of the Holy Spirit, what we see is that Jesus is the one who baptizes us with or in the Holy Spirit. So notice the screen, Luke three sixteen. He, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Luke chapter 3, verse 16 gives two primary eras or time periods in which Jesus baptizes. The first one is in the church age. This is the age we're in right now. That is that Jesus Christ will baptize, he will immerse, spiritually baptize those who believe the gospel. The second period of time speaks about after the church age, after we go to be with Christ, and then there's the judgment, and he baptizes those who do not believe the gospel with fire. Now, how do you know that's the case? Well, you have to read on after verse 16 and see the context. The context is speaking about hellfire, judgment. So the warning here is, if you don't believe the gospel, you will receive baptism after your death at the judgment. It will be a baptism of fire. You'll be fully immersed in the judgment of God forever. That should be sobering. But here's the hope. Jesus came to save. And so if you believe that he lived and he died and he rose again for you to, to redeem you from your sins so that you can be forgiven and made a child of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he promises he will, at that moment you believe, he will immerse you in the spirit. He will apply his own person, his own work to your soul. And it's like Jesus takes your soul and he immerses it in the spirit, washing you as clean as Jesus Christ. Think about a person who is filthy from head to toe. They're full of mud. They have dirt in their ears. They have grime between their toes. I mean, they're as filthy as you possibly can be. And then they step down into this water and someone dips them down in the water, maybe scrubs them real clean, and they come up and they're sparkling, pure, and clean. And so that person goes in dirty and they come out clean. They come out holy, you could say. And that's the picture of what we have here with spirit baptism. We are dirty, selfish, vile sinners in the eyes of God. 
And when we believe the gospel, Jesus takes our souls that are far from God, that can't gain any merit from God, and he plunges that into the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, where, as Romans chapter 6 says, we're baptized into his death, and we're raised again to walk in newness of life. That's speaking about spirit baptism. And so when that happens, the Holy Spirit changes us. We go from the old self before that spirit baptism. It's the old self ruled by self. And when we're baptized into the spirit, we come out and we are the new self. We're created in the likeness of Jesus Christ. In other words, when God the Father sees us, he sees the purity and righteousness and holiness of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That is the baptism in the spirit. And at that time, when we are united with Christ in that way, listen to this, every spiritual blessing that Christ has is now ours. And you are forever a member of the spiritual universal church. So that is spirit baptism. Spirit baptism into the spiritual church, into spiritual church membership. Now, many people, when they hear about baptism, they get confused because there's a difference between water baptism and spirit baptism. Some people do the same thing when they think about the church. Well, there's a difference between the spiritual church and the local church. Some people even get confused when they think about church membership. Well, there's a difference between membership in the universal spiritual church and membership in a local church. What's the difference? Well, water baptism, for instance, is God's way to illustrate and picture spirit baptism. So what we do in a local church is we take the spiritual work of God that he alone does in our souls, and we make it visible for the church to see. And so at conversion, Christ baptizes us in the spirit. So to picture that work, we obey Christ and we baptize new believers in water. When Christ baptizes you in the spirit, you become a member of the spiritual church. So when you come to a local body like this, we have you join as a member of the, this local church. There's the spiritual universal church, and God instructs us to form a physical, biblical, local church in cities and around the world. And so the point is here is that what is spiritual, what is hidden, is made visible to witness the work of God, to testify of his work. Think about it this way. In your office, if you have an office or in your house, you might have somewhere a diploma. Maybe it's hanging on your wall. Maybe it's in a box somewhere. And that diploma says that if you graduated from a high school or from a college, that says that you have graduated from that institution. Or maybe you go to a doctor's office and you see a certificate on the wall and it has their credentials and their certification or whatever it is. Or you go to a lawyer's you know, office and you see that up there. Or another one is every one of us has a birth certificate, right? Now those certificates don't mean that you, doesn't, doesn't make you born if it's a birth certificate. If you go to the doctor's office and they have a certificate on the wall, it doesn't, doesn't mean that because they have that up there that therefore they're automatically should do surgery on you, right? What does that certificate represent? What does that birth certificate represent? 
Well, it's a, it's a picture, it's a, it's a sign, if you want to say it that way, of something that happened in the past, something that is not visible, but it's a sign that you actually have the qualifications for that, right? So it's, it's a visible sign of a past invisible reality. And just because you produce a certificate doesn't mean it's true, right? You know, you, you could... Uh, print off a certificate on the internet and you could put it up in your office and you could say, you know, I'm qualified to be maybe a pastor or maybe I'm qualified to be a doctor. Does it make you qualified to be a doctor just because you have that up there? No. In kind of the same way, just because you become a church member, just because you get in the water and you get dunked under, it doesn't make you a Christian, right? So what, what we see here with these, with these visible signs, they represent something invisibly that God did within us. And so it is with water baptism, the local church, and local church membership. They're visible signs of a spiritual, hidden reality. I think it's, clear, it's good to make clear when we talk about these things, that again, none of these things can save you. Being a member of this church, being baptized in water, have even just coming to a church like this, doesn't merit you any grace, doesn't do anything before God. So why do we do it? Why do we dunk someone in water? Why do we have a church like this? Why do we become members? Well, it's in obedience to what God has called us to do. It's a step of faith to obey Christ. And so therefore, if, if you have not been water baptized, if you're not a member of the church, if you don't gather with the church regularly, then I think the instruction we see in the New Testament is you need to do so. Why? It's not going to gain you anything. You need to do so because you need to obey Jesus Christ. Spirit baptism is the work of Christ that changes you at your conversion forever. So what does this even matter to us now? Why are we talking about all this? Well, notice verse 13. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is the basis for our identity and unity. Verse 13. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Notice, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. There are a variety of ways that our society divides up people or unifies with individuals. And so what you see in Jews and Greeks, you see two different ethnicities. You see two different groups of people that have different backgrounds, different customs, slaves and free, you see different economic situations. And our society loves to do that, right? We, we divide people up and say, oh, there's the middle class, the upper class, the lower class. There's the rich, there's the poor, there's the inner city, there's the suburban people. And we, we like to divide people up by their economic situation. Our society loves and to preach that your identity is found in things like your skin color or your heritage or even your gender. In fact, go to the uh, Galatians chapter 3. It's a book after 1 Corinthians, so, or after 2 Corinthians, so 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Go to Galatians 3 because I want you to see that what's taught here in 1 Corinthians 13, or 12, 13, is also taught in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Look at verse 27. For as many of you, so he's talking to the church, were baptized, so there's spirit baptism, into Christ, what's the result of that? Have put on Jesus Christ. 
So every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're spiritually immersed into Christ and therefore they put on Jesus Christ. You, uh, verse 20, sorry, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and they notice this, these other two categories, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so you see these three categories, really. You see ethnicity, you see economic situation, and here you see gender. And isn't it interesting how our world loves to group people by these? Now, let's just say this, that we believe that there is male and female, and there's our two genders, there's a distinction, and they're important distinctions. Even the fact that, you know, you think about your economic situation, it matters, right? It matters what job you have. You should be faithful in that role that you have, that God has called you to. Even with your ethnicity, there's a sense of blessing in that. There's a sense where we should appreciate the heritage that God has given to us. So it's not that you should discount any of that. What he's saying here is you are not to find your identity in those groups, though. Your identity is primarily found in that you are a child of God, that you are in Jesus Christ. I mean, what's crazy in our country right now is that we have people that are primarily in regard to gender. They're finding their identity in their gender, and, and not just in male and female. They, they decide they're going to create their own genders. And in fact, so much so that they, they want to physically change their body to match their warped psychological identity where they think that they are in their mind. That's a twisted view of the self. That's the world we live in. But really, that's an extreme view, you know, position that's, I guess, more modern, more um, mainstream now. But it's an extreme position. I think what we do, even in our own lives, our own hearts, we like to find our identity in something. We find it in our job. We find it in our, maybe our role in our, in our marriage, or we find it in some other place. But what he's saying here is we come to gather as God's people. It's not about, uh, these are, this is my culture. This is my group of people. It's that we are united in Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. So, so go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because what he's saying in Galatians 3 and 1 Corinthians 12 is essentially the same thing, that through the baptism of the Spirit, we have been given Christ and the blessings of Christ. So we're forgiven. We have the righteousness of Jesus. We're loved by Jesus. We're accepted by him. We have the hope of heaven and this gives us meaning. And so therefore, as we come and gather together as a church, we must function based upon this union with Christ in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And his point here in verse 13 is that the spirit of God has changed you. The spirit of God has changed God's view of you. He's changed your identity. He's changed your eternity. And it should change how we unify with one Another. You see, the basis, the basis for our unity in our church is not that we share a common cultural heritage or even that we are the same age. It's that we are in Christ, that we share that relationship with 
Jesus Christ. So we don't come to church and we say, oh, this is my culture, so that's why I like this church. We come to this church because we say, this is my Jesus, and these are his people, and therefore I want to unite with them in love. And so, Christian, we are, as a member of the body of Christ, to function uniting with the church for the cause of Christ based upon your union with Christ in the spirit. Let me ask some concluding questions. Are you functioning as a member of this body? Are you uniting with this body according to the gifts that God has given to you for the cause of Jesus Christ? Do you view your identity as one who has been died with Christ and who has been raised with Christ, that you're in Christ, you're a child of God? Is that how you view your life and your identity? Christian, have you obeyed Christ's command to be baptized? We're going to have a baptism on Easter. We have a couple people that we already uh, know we're going to plan on to be baptized on Easter. Have you been biblically baptized? I'm talking about being dunked in water, brought back up because it's a picture that you have been spiritually baptized, that you've trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has immersed you in the power of the spirit. And you want to proclaim to the church that that has happened to you. Have you had that happen to you? If not, if you have not been biblically water baptized, Christ commands you to do it. And really it's the next step of obedience in your faith. So, so you need to do that. And then... If you're in here without Christ, my friend, there is a baptism coming for you unless you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God's call to you today is to be baptized in the spirit if you don't know Christ. And how can you be baptized in the spirit? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And God the Father will have Jesus Christ apply the work of Christ's work to your heart through the power of the spirit. He can change your life. Would you come to Jesus Christ today? Let's bow our heads and let's pray.